You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Man, I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. Uh, Man, if you would grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke, turn to chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 3 of the Gospel of Luke this morning. And, and before, we, before we head there, I want to kind of touch on just a couple of announcements, a couple of things that I felt were really important to kind of get out to you guys. Uh, one, we already talked about a little bit, our, our gospel uh, communities. Uh, we believe it, for our gospel communities to be healthy, we should be gathering together, growing together, gospel saturated together, and then going out into the community together to share the good news of Jesus And I want us to really begin to think, okay, I want us to think as a church, I want us to begin to think of those gospel communities as mini churches throughout the week, okay? I want us to think about those as though they are miniature churches that meet together, mini church families that meet together for the purpose of sharing life together, praying for and meeting one another's needs, as well as just discovering together how the Spirit of God is... um, drawing us or challenging us to engage with our community. So I I really want to encourage you guys, if you're not part of a gospel community, uh, we'd like to get you hooked up there, so please talk to one of us afterwards. Also, the second thing is this. I'll be traveling Tuesday through Saturday this next week, so if you would just be praying for me and praying for the guys that that I'll be with. Uh, Tuesday, I'll be at a Converge pastors meeting in Kearney, uh, meeting with some other pastors from our Converge Heartland District, just discussing uh, what our progress looks like in terms of planting the well. Uh, we'll also be meeting with uh, another dude who's, who's dreaming about God's call on his life to plant a, a converged church near Kearney. So that, uh, that'll be just a real good time meeting with those gentlemen, praying, thinking, reporting, uh, and just catching up with one another. We, we meet quarterly for this purpose. Um, and so please be praying for us over there. And then Wednesday, I'll be traveling to Lincoln real quick to jump into a van full of other Acts 29 planters. And we'll be headed to Oklahoma City for uh, the first ever lower Midwest region church planters roundtable. So I get to sit down with some dudes that I've been, I've been listening to their podcast for a couple of years and kind of dreaming about getting to meet these guys. So for me, it's going to be really a lot of fun as we meet there in Oklahoma City on Wednesday. <clears throat> and then Thursday, uh, those same guys and I will <clears throat> jump back in the van and we'll head to Dallas, Texas. We'll be there together from, uh, from Thursday through Saturday meeting with other Acts 29 church planters from around the world. Um, uh, we'll get to hear Matt Chandler preach and a few other guys preach and we'll get some real top-notch uh, training that I'm uh, super stoked for. Please pray for me and all these other guys as we go because I know they're going to be long days. Uh, and then I'll, I'll get back late. Uh, late Saturday night I'll fly in to Omaha Late Saturday night, I'll drive, we'll drive from there to Lincoln. I'll grab my vehicle and drive back to my house late Saturday night. And then Sunday, I'll get up, come in here. We'll preach through the genealogy of Jesus' family. Imagine that, big, long family tree. And then I'll, I'll leave my gospel community, one of them. And then after that, I'm going to go home. I'm going to pass out for a couple of days and turn my phone off. And, and I, I will be completely unreachable, okay? I'll probably, yeah, just be unreachable. So please just pray for me and pray for those guys that are involved and pray for our church that we would, uh, that we would get uh, much benefit from this investment. It's an investment of our time and our money for, for me to go do this. And, and I am stoked. Last thing I want to kind of point out before we jump into the scriptures this morning is that our leadership team is uh, prepared. 
prepared to meet this afternoon as soon as we are done gathering here. Uh, we're going to gather for the purpose of providing some leadership training for them. Uh, we're also going to work together to kind of develop a three-year strategic plan of growth uh, so that we can continue to plant this church in a way that becomes sustainable and faithful to God's call on us. And we're hoping to put together also a five to ten year picture of where we'd like to be in five to ten years. So if you'd be praying for our team as we meet, uh, we would certainly, uh, we would, we can certainly use it. So I'm ready to jump into Luke three. L- let's pray together before we before we get moving. Okay, Father, we uh, we thank you, we bless you, Lord. We come before you this morning, and we 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 are we are ready to jump into Luke chapter three verses uh, fifteen through twenty two and. And as we turn our attention there, Lord, we, we rightfully turn our attention to you. And Lord, we, uh, we admit that we need you to speak to us this morning. Lord, what, what all of us in this room does not need is for a mere man to stand and f- hear and to speak merely human words of wisdom. But what we need, Lord Jesus, what we need, Lord God, is, is for you through your spirit to, to preach to us the message of Christ this morning, to preach to us the message of the gospel. Lord, we come in this morning uh, knowing that we are in need of you, some of us, and some of us have no clue that we're in need of you. We have no clue why we're here. We just seemed, for some reason, drawn here. And so, Lord, I know that your word is like a fresh drink of water to weathered souls, and we pray, Lord God, that you would preach your word through me this morning. So Lord, we give you this time. We ask that you would bless it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. amen. All right, and last week we studied, uh, we, we began our study in Luke chapter 3. We've been in the gospel of Luke for a number of months here, and we know that we're going to spend a number of years here in the gospel of Luke as we kind of slow cook and bake our way through uh, the gospel of Luke, getting to know this person named Jesus. And last week, as we studied through verses 1 through 14, we studied John the Baptist's message of repentance. And as we examined that, we we learned that the message of repentance means turning or changing our direction. Remember, we talked about moving that big 42-foot-long RV and trying to back it up and turn around and head a different direction. We discussed what the message of repentance is. And more specifically, we discussed that the message of repentance calls us to turn from our sin and walk in forgiveness and to turn from our self-saving efforts and uh, to, to Jesus as our Messiah and to turn from unfruitful living to fruitful living and to turn specifically as individuals. And with that said, I, I kind of want to reference a quote that, that I uh, somehow left out last week. And I, I remembered after I was done preaching that I left this quote out. And it, was, it was from the commentary that I've been studying to prepare for these messages and and I felt like it was very important to the meaning of this section of text. And so I wanted to bring it to your attention this morning. It's by uh, uh, this gentleman named Philip Riken, who is the one that wrote this commentary that I've been studying through. He says this. He says, these examples teach us that every situation in life has its own <clears throat> typical temptations, its own dominating forms of depravity. <clears throat> Office workers are tempted to grumble. Laborers are tempted to cut corners. Businessmen are tempted to be greedy. Scholars and musicians are tempted to be arrogant. Teachers are tempted to be impatient. Children are tempted to rebel against their parents. 
Men are tempted to use pornography and angrily abuse their authority. Women are tempted to gossip and use their words to manipulate people. People who have been wronged are tempted to become bitter, and people who suffer are tempted to self-pity. The point is that God calls every one of us to repent of our own personal sins. And I believe that 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 quote and that statement from, from that commentary does a good job of drawing all those points of last week's message of repentance into one place for each of us and specifically applies it to each of us in our own context. And I pray that, I pray that this message of repentance that we spoke about last week as we examine it, I pray that that is what permeates and characterizes and becomes the growing characteristic of who we are as a church community, that that's who we would become. So now, as we begin to look at the text for the day, I'm reminded of my deep love for preaching, all right? I'm reminded of my deep love for preaching. Man, I, I love to preach. I, I love listening to preachers. I love reading books about preachers, and I, I love reading books about preaching. <clears throat> when I first began to follow uh, Jesus, my dad recommended that I begin to listen to a radio station called the Bot Radio Network, which in Lincoln was at 88.5, and I was doing late-night drywall jobs because I couldn't do them during the day because they were in businesses. And, and so all night long, I would listen to these different radio broadcasts, um, hoping that I would continue to grow spiritually through the preaching of God's Word. So I listened to preachers like Charles Stanley and D. James Kennedy and Ravi Zacharias and James McDonald and Hank Hanegraaff. I listened to these men... Um, for, for a number of years, every day in, day in, day out. And I learned a lot from these men. I grew spiritually from listening to these men as they labored to faithfully preach Jesus day in and day out to my thirsty heart. And I uh, have been forever grateful to those men. And over the years, I was introduced to podcasting. As podcasting became more popular, I began to, to subscribe to certain podcasts and listen to some dudes on there. And I've been listening to Matt Chandler and Mark Driscoll and Kevin Cauley and Todd Bumgarner in Lincoln and Bob Thune in Omaha, and then my pastor, Brent Bromberger in Crete from the church that we helped to plant there. I've been listening to those men for years, and I've been blessed to learn a lot from them as well as they sought to faithfully labor in the preaching of Christ week in and week out and day in and day out, so to speak, uh, to my own heart. Well, one thing that I've, I've noticed, though, over the years as I've engaged in the listening and the hearing of faithful men who have preached Christ, as I've noticed that my appetite for preaching, though I love it, kind of ebbs and flows up and down. In other words, there are, there are some seasons where I have just this insatiable appetite to hear faithful preachers preaching the message of Christ to my heart, and then there are other seasons where it is a complete and absolute struggle to stay thirsty and engaged. And I would imagine that some of you understand that same feeling as well. And I think, I think the reason for this is that if, if I'm honest, okay, if, if I'm going to be honest about things, I would have to admit that my love for the Lord goes through seasons of deep thirsting for Him and then other seasons of dryness and disinterest. Some seasons where I'm just, I'm, I'm just, man, I'm on fire and I just, I can't get enough and I can't hear enough and I can't learn enough and I just need more. And then there are seasons where 
it's just a real struggle to continue to dig into the discipline of hearing God's word preached to my heart. And yet, I stand before you today ready to preach, right? And I'm ready to preach Christ to you guys. I'm ready to engage in that act, and I am excited, and I'm really privileged to be able to get the opportunity to do what I do here weekly. I'm really privileged to prepare for messages like this on a weekly basis, to spend each day in the struggles of putting words together and trying to drive down to the original meaning of the text and, and trying to illuminate and hear from the Holy Spirit. Man, how am I to preach and what am I to say this week? That is a, a privilege to me, and I'm excited to do this. But I want to make one thing very clear, and that's this, that if we truly have been captured by the love and the grace of God in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, made explicit in, in Christ's life and made explicit in his death and his resurrection, then our lives will exhibit a deep and growing love for the preaching of Christ Jesus. In other words, if we love God, our love for preaching Jesus will be obvious. Our love for Jesus and the preaching of Jesus will be obvious. And this is exactly what we're going to be saying today as John the Baptist preaches. As he preaches Jesus with an obvious enthusiasm to a group of people who've been running on empty uh, for a long time due to the fact that that there had been silence among God's preachers for quite a while. In fact, for nearly 400 years, nearly 400 years marked the span of time that had gone by since the Lord had spoken powerfully by the mouth of a prophet or preacher. And in this season, in this season, as we study this text, the Lord has raised up John the Baptist to be a very forceful and powerful voice preaching the coming of the Son of God who is Jesus. What a glorious moment, right? Imagine it with me for a minute. Just, just imagine if you need to, just close your eyes and, and put yourself in that setting. Imagine that there had been silence for 400 years. And that the weight and the pressure of sin and the culture all around you are bearing down on you. And for centuries, the people of your nation have been hearing from the prophetic books of the Old Testament that, that soon there would be a Savior, a Messiah, the Christ would come and he would rescue and redeem God's people. For centuries this had been the message that had been handed down. And then suddenly in steps John the Baptist, right? In steps John the Baptist whose ministry of preaching and baptism begins to really draw some national attention. No one had spoken for hundreds of years, and here comes Preacher John, if you will, with his trucker hat on. It says, Preacher John, across the front. You can see it, can't you? His message is so startling. It's, it's, it's so captivating that, that revival is breaking out, and, and people are coming in droves to hear him preach. Many are repenting and being baptized, and top religious leaders are interviewing preacher John every day. 
He's on the front page of every news outlet. CNN and Fox News has been chasing him down to get interviews with him, to just ask him questions about, man, what is it like to be this famous or this popular? What is it like to see the results of this, this coming out of your ministry? Every time you open up your Facebook, and there he is, right, with his arms stretched way out. He's got the greasy face and the big beard, and he's got the, the really rough clothing on. He's got that intense look on his face, and the, the preacher, pastor face. It's got to be something like the duck face, kind of, right? I don't, maybe, I don't know. There he is on your Facebook every time you open it up. There's usually some heading right over the top or right below it that says, man, check out the new preacher. Check out the new preacher that's taking the country by storm, right? His message is drawing the masses. It's like nothing you've ever heard. He speaks with real clarity. He's not like those other guys, those other boring dudes across town. It's really a season where it's really a preacher's dream come true. And it's into this adventurous season in the life of Israel with a famous preacher named John the Baptist that, that our author, Luke, takes us today. So look with me at verses 15 through 17. <clears throat> Luke says this, As the people were in expectation, just grab that, they were in expectation. That's, that is, again, that's a preacher's dream come true. When, when people come expecting and they're thirsty, and they want to hear from the Lord. People were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John. Now, this is where things kind of take a turn, okay? All were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. And is he God? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Savior? We've never seen things like this before. We haven't seen miraculous things happen like this in a long time. You know, this is, this is common in the church, for people to elevate their preachers and their leaders to a level of godship that was never intended for the preacher. Only God can be in that space. And here these people are asking that question. And so John, preacher John, verse 16, answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Now, I just want to, let me just share with you for a minute. When he says, the strap of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie, there was this common thing among rabbis during that time. This common practice, okay? When you, you would want to grow spiritually, you'd want to learn spiritually, so you would, you would find yourself a rabbi. So it'd be like, hey, Rabbi Luke, I want to start following you. And so Rabbi Luke would be like, sure. Protege Joe, you can come follow me. And so what would happen is that as, as Joe follows Rabbi Luke, there's no entry fees, there's no registration forms, there's, there's no you know, quarterly anything. I mean, you just, I would just start following Rabbi Luke. And one of the things that I would do is I would begin to try to provide for Luke because he's working hard, right? He's working hard to, to train me and to teach me and to, to lead me. And so I would do lots of things as a follower of Rabbi Luke, all right? Teacher Luke would be another way of saying it. I would bring him water. I would, I would grab him food, or I, I would maybe help clean his house and, or mow his lawn, or just things like that. I would just help. One of the things, though, that, that a follower of a rabbi could never do is they, they, could, they, they could never untie 
the sandals of the rabbi because that, that, would be, that would be too low. That would be asking too much. That would be the rabbi using his authority in an abusive way. Are you kind of tracking with me? And so what John the Baptist is saying is he's saying, I'm not even worthy to do the job of a slave because that job would be held back for those who were more slaves. And so John the Baptist, again, national prominence, very popular. They begin to question, man, are you, are you the Messiah? No, dude, I'm not the Messiah, man. I, I, I wouldn't even, I, I, I can't even untie his sandals. Not because, not because I'm not supposed to, not because that's too low, because I'm not worthy enough to untie his sandals. That, that's a mark of humility. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Look at verse 17. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. So John the Baptist says this, okay? He says, I'm not Jesus. I'm not him. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not your God. I can't save you. There's no amount of work, no amount of great ministry, no amount of headlines, no amount of popularity, no amount of anything. I am not Jesus. But when Jesus comes, you will know it because he will do things far greater than I will. In other words, John the Baptist obviously loves God and was evidenced by his love for preaching Jesus' power and ability to separate the godly from the ungodly. Look at verses 18 through 20. Luke says this. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, verse 19, but Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, verse 20, added this to them all that he locked up John in prison. So John, John the Baptist, is preaching the good news of the gospel, right? He's preaching the good news of the gospel that points to Jesus, which for some people was really good news, but for other people was not such great news. And in fact, for some people, came across as being really bad news because it didn't stroke their feathers. It didn't make them feel good. It didn't gloss over their sin. And it resulted in suffering for John the Baptist. That's what it resulted in. In other words, John the Baptist obviously loved God, right? He obviously loved him, and it was evidenced by his love for preaching Christ and his willingness to suffer for it as some people either received or rejected the message. Look at verses 21 through 22. Verse 21, now when all people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, there was this physical manifestation of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In other words, John the Baptist's love for God was so obvious and it was evidenced in his love for preaching Jesus, and in the midst of that, it, it, it resulted in this physical manifestation and revelation of the triune Godhead. So, so as we study this and as we read through this text, 
But how should this passage challenge us today? This, this should be a question that is on the minds and the lips and the hearts of, of any person who is hearing the Holy Spirit call them and draw them to Christ. This question, how does this passage affect me? How does it challenge me? How does it chip away at the rock-hard, cold, fake exterior that I've been walking around in all week? What are some of the observations that should influence the preaching of Jesus among Christians today, to be more specific to our topic today? In other words, how can we know if our love for God is so obvious that our preaching of Jesus actually proves it? It's often been said that you can tell what someone loves the most by observing what they talk about the most. If you spend a much time around me, you'll learn that I love my family. Italians often do. Have a strong family value. Okay? I love my family. I love biblical theology. Honestly, dude, there's some dudes I sit down with that love biblical theology and know it so much better than I that I don't even I can't even say much because I feel like what do I bring? What do I bring to the table? I love biblical theology. I love to think through theological implications and. And the word theology just means the study of God. So I love biblical theology, right? I love my family. I love great steak or a great burger. Some of you would know that. Like, you bring me a good, really good steak or a really good burger, or you invite me to your house for a steak, or I'll be there early. I'll be there early, okay? Um, I love church planting. I love to talk about lost people groups who have not heard of the Lord. I uh, love to talk about and discuss and plan and strategize and dream and set goals to, you know, plant churches. Been a been a huge love of mine for a long time. I love to read. I'll let this one out of the hat too. I love a really good craft beer. I love preaching that points to Jesus, okay? I love good, expositional, exegetical. You guys are like, at what? I love exegete means to pull out, and expositional means to lay forth. And so I love putting those two words together to say that we are to draw out, to exegete the meaning of the text, and to lay forth, to exposit the meaning of the text. So I love good exegetical, expositional preaching. Some of you are like, I don't give a rip. I know. I do, though. I love it. Like, I love it. And I love it when, when good, I, I, I really despise topical preaching, like where you take a topic and then you dissect scriptures, like, Five passages from here, there, and there to make it mean what I want it to mean or say what I want it to say. I love good expositional, line by line. Let's get into the meat of the story and draw out the picture. And then knowing that it always points to Jesus and trying to really see how the Holy Spirit illuminates. How does this point to Jesus, man? How does it, how does it change me? I love, so you can see I'm getting really passionate. I love, I love good expositional, exegetical preaching that points to Jesus. But man, does my preaching... Does my preaching give evidence to my authentic, growing affection and love for Jesus himself? Does my preaching give evidence to my growing affection and love for Jesus himself? It's okay. 
So here's the deal. If we love God, our love for preaching Jesus will be obvious. And so, so there's five things. Okay? Preacher always has to have three to five things. Sometimes I do seven to nine. <clears throat> I've got five observations from the text that I really want you to write down. And just I want to give a little commentary to you and, and just give us the opportunity to kind of reflect on. Number one. Number one, listen, when we preach Jesus, we must focus on Christ's powerful ability and our inability. And when John the Baptist preached Jesus, he essentially said that though he had a ministry of baptism and, and his ministry, though, was nothing in comparison to Jesus' powerful ministry, Jesus' ministry would be much more powerful because his ministry would be a baptism of the Holy Spirit and of fire. So when we preach Jesus, we must focus on Christ's powerful ability and our inability. We are completely helpless without Christ. There's no relationship that will help us. There's no religious practice that will help us. There's no amount of self-help, pop psychology that will help us. There's new, no new shiny thing that will help us. We are completely bankrupt without Christ. And in our weakness, Christ is strong. And we must decrease so that Christ can increase in power and ability in our hearts. And when we preach Christ, we must focus on Christ's powerful ability and our inability. The man who says, I am able to do this on my own, or the woman who says, I don't want your help, is merely saying, I don't need Christ. I can do this on my own. Second thing I see is this. When we preach Jesus, it will separate people who are his from people who are not his. The preaching of Christ always separates those two groups. One group of people who belong to Christ and those who do not. You could say and argue a little further. It will separate us into two groups. Those who are his and are being called to him and those who are not his and are not being called to him. When John the Baptist preached Jesus, we observed that there are essentially those two kinds of people in this world, man. There are repentant people who've turned or changed the direction or the course of their lives, and they have become sons and daughters of God. And then there are unrepentant people who have refused to turn, and they refuse to change the direction of their lives, and they have continued to live as sons and daughters of Satan. Jesus will definitely gather those who are his by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. And he will also toss those who are not his into the fire, which cannot be quenched. And when we preach Jesus, what happens it separates people who are his from people who are not his. The scriptures make it plain that, that we are to be in the world but not of it. We're to be in the world and not of it. 
which does not mean that we are not to be in the world. But on the contrary, we are to live distinctively as Christ's followers in a world that does not value Christ's likeness or godliness. We are to live distinctly as gospel-changed people in the midst of a world that does not value the good news of the gospel message of Jesus. Listen, we do not need to concern ourselves with running around and trying to figure out who belongs to Christ and who doesn't. We only need to be consumed with following Jesus faithfully. Trust that when we preach Jesus, it will naturally separate people who are his from people who are not his. Number three. Number three is this. When we preach Jesus, our message will either be received or rejected. Everybody hold your hand up with me for a minute. So when your hand is open, that is in a position of of being able to receive. When your hand is closed, you're in a position of rejection. Think of it. When your fist is made, it's, it's it's a symbol of fighting against the truth. It's a symbol of rejection. You are rejecting the message of the gospel. And you're, you're in either one of those two camps. And, and at times you'll float back and forth between the two. That's the beauty of God's grace. Is that if he's drawing you, he will still draw you. Even in those seasons. Even in those moments when your, your fist is tightly clenched. And you are rejecting the message of Christ. He can still work in and through you by the power of his spirit. To open your heart and open your hands. So that you are in a position to receive the message of the gospel. When we preach Jesus, our message will either be received or rejected. When John the Baptist preached Jesus, he knew that he would either be received or rejected, and he didn't allow those possibilities to control his preaching. When we preach Jesus, the gospel message will draw out all kinds of responses. The two most common are receiving and rejecting. People will either turn and change the direction of their lives by receiving the gospel message as good news, and then they will continue as repentant people, or they will reject the gospel message. They'll reject the gospel message as bad news, and they'll refuse to turn or change the direction of their lives. And we'll continue to live as unrepentant people, enjoying the outcome of the sin that is in their lives. Nine times out of ten when they do it, they'll stomp the crap out of people who are trying to tell them this is the truth. Nevertheless, though we understand that some will reject the message of the gospel and that some will receive it, we must preach Jesus regardless of the outcome or the response that we might receive. Look at number four. Number four, when we preach Jesus, we will often suffer for it. When we preach Jesus, we will often suffer for it. When John the Baptist preached Jesus, he faced much suffering from King Herod because he confronted the king's sinful lifestyle 
He didn't walk away and go, oh, well, you know, King Herod, it's, it's, it's okay. I, I'm going to ignore that. You're the king. I, you know, you, you probably got things figured out for yourself anyways, so I'm just, I'll just leave you alone. He, he didn't do that. He boldly proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah without apology. And he suffered greatly for it because the message of Jesus as the Messiah also includes the message of repentance. You don't get a complete message of Christ the Messiah as our Savior without the message of daily and moment-by-moment repentance that must take place in the hearts and the lives of those who claim him. John the Baptist didn't back down and he suffered because of it. Listen, whenever and wherever we preach Jesus, we will often suffer. And when the message of repentance and faith in Jesus is proclaimed, there will be much suffering. Why? Because the Spirit who is at work in the sons of disobedience will always make war on those within whom the Spirit of Christ is at work. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, brothers and sisters. Your fight is not against each other. My fight is not against those who disagree with me. The fight that takes place among people is a fight between the two spirits that are at work in either or both at the same time. And in this case, it's a fight between the spirit that's at work in King Herod and the spirit that is at work in John the Baptist. James, the brother of Jesus, says that we are to count it all joy, my brothers, when we face suffering of all kinds. And Jesus himself said that we can expect much suffering And all throughout the scriptures, man, we observe this to be true. We observe that many who suffer, we observe many who suffer much for the message of Jesus. And so we should not be surprised one bit. We should also not be afraid when we too face much suffering when we preach Jesus. Family members will persecute us. Our friends will abandon us. People will talk trash about us. We may face physical danger when we preach Jesus, and we, and we may face emotional hardship, but when we, face, when we preach Jesus, we must remain strong in the face of suffering and, and proclaim the message of the gospel boldly and without apology, trusting that the Lord will never leave us or forsake us regardless of how devastating or bleak our physical, or emotional circumstances might be. When we preach Christ, we'll often suffer for it. Number five, number five, when we preach Jesus, we must focus on the revelation of the one true triune Godhead. Listen, because of John the Baptist's faithful ministry and because of the call and purposes of God upon his life, He had the unique opportunity to baptize Jesus, who would be the Messiah, for all who would trust him. 
When John the Baptist preached Jesus, he focused on Jesus, and in so doing, there was a miraculous physical manifestation of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was there physically in person. The Father spoke audibly from heaven, and the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove. Listen, there are many other so-called religions in the world today who proclaim multiple deities or multiple forms of multiple deities, but Christianity at its core proclaims one deity in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are coexisting and co-eternal. Big words, coexisting, co-eternal. Our statement, if you go to our website, our doctrinal statement on our website, one of the, the, the pieces of it where we speak to this idea of the doctrine or teaching of the Trinity says this. It says, we believe that there is one God eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when we preach Jesus, we focus on the revelation of the one true triune God as revealed throughout the scriptures. We don't, we don't serve created things, guys. We proclaim Christ. We don't serve created beings. We don't serve mere human philosophy. We don't serve many forms of a God. We serve and therefore we preach one true God who is distinctly triune in nature. We serve and worship God the Father who sent God the Son in the power of God the Holy Spirit to redeem those whom he foreknew before the very foundations of the earth, as Ephesians says, by the generosity of the Father, the sacrifice of the Son, and the regenerative and cleansing work of the Holy Spirit. When we preach Jesus, we preach the revelation of the one true triune God. I want to invite our musicians forward as we... uh, Prepare to conclude our time together. John the Baptist obviously loved God. Obviously loved God. And it was evidenced by his love for preaching Jesus. Listen, if we love God, our love for preaching Jesus will be obvious as well. Our love for preaching Jesus will be obvious because when we preach Jesus, we will focus on Christ's powerful ability and our inability, nothing that you and I can do. We are bankrupt without Christ. we got nothing without him. Our preaching of Jesus will separate people who are his from those who are not his. Our preaching of Jesus will either be received or rejected. Our preaching of Jesus will often result in suffering. Our preaching of Jesus will focus on the revelation of the one true triune God questions for you as we close. Is Jesus' power evident in your life? Is it obvious? Is there any question in your mind that the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not evident in you? Are you attempting to do things in your own strength and Have you become separated as a repentant person? Or are you still in that category of unrepentant? Would Jesus look at you and say that you are repentant? Or would he say, depart from me for I never knew you. You have not been repentant. 
Repentance is the evidence of salvation in your life. And where are you today with Jesus? When you hear that you must continue to repent or, or turn from things that are ungodly, what, what happens within you? Do you hear a message of hope or do you hear a message of doom? Are you tempted to stiff arm those around you who love the Lord? Are you attempting to defend yourself or attack those who preach Christ to you? What does it look like for you to hear the good news of the gospel, man? Are you a son or daughter of God this morning? Is your life characterized by continued repentance from sin and faith in Christ? And are you living like a son or daughter of the king? How does your preaching of Jesus reveal Christ's power? In what ways does your preaching of Christ separate you from the world as a believer among non-believers? What does it look like for you to be a person who receives the message of the gospel among so many in our world today who are actively and openly rejecting the message of Christ? How can you become positioned more and more as a person who is willing to endure suffering for the preaching of Jesus? Here's the deal. If you love God, and your love for preaching Jesus will be obvious. There's going to be two people in the front to pray for you if you have needs. Personal prayer needs, something struck you in the message you need to receive the ministry of prayer for something that the Lord spoke to you, we invite you to come forward and, and receive the ministry of prayer as we close in worship. We pray as we enter. Father, we bless you and we thank you for the message of Christ. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be present among us, Lord God, and that you would change and transform and regenerate and cleanse hearts this morning, God, that you would draw us to yourself through the preaching of the word. Lord Jesus, we step back for a minute and we observe the fact that you came in bodily form as the son of God to pay a ransom for sin. Well, we, we just, we get it, God. We, we understand that our sin has separated us from you, separated us from you because you are holy and you are perfect and we are not and we need you. And so you sent your son. Lord Jesus, you, you spent a life here on this earth and then you walked a pathway to the cross and you sacrificed your life, your perfect life, to pay the, the ransom and the payment that we should have paid. And you, you took from us the penalty of our sin so that by our faith and our trust in you, by the empowerment and the drawing of the Holy Spirit, that we might be made right with your Father in heaven our Father in heaven, that we might actually call God our Father rather than our enemy. Though we have lived as enemies, you sent your Son, Lord, as a sacrifice and a ransom for us. You died for your enemies. So, Lord, we, we just submit to you this morning and we say thank you for the message of the cross and thank you for the message of Jesus and Thank you for, for, for your sacrifice and thank you for your generosity and, and we need you. But I pray that if there are some here that do not know you, Lord, this would be the moment where they would submit to you and begin to follow you. Pray, God, that you would help us to love you 
to love the preaching of Jesus and that that will be obvious in the community of the well. In Jesus' name, please stand with me and let's worship. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.